0: Hey, welcome in, everyone, to another edition of Hustle With Us. I'm your host, Tristan Plunkett, with you here for Pat Anderson today. Pat is a largely considered to be the best wheelchair basketball player in the world, if not one of the greatest ever to play the game. This guy is a three-time Paralympic gold medalist with Team Canada. Just last year, in 2018, he was named the wheelchair basketball canada male athlete of the year i mean he's got junior basketball world championships back in 1997 2001 as i mentioned he's a paralympic gold medalist himself all the way dating back to 2000 he's still uh training with team canada there there is actually heading down to compete in the pan ams here in a few weeks i mean craig if there's anything we picked up from this interview, there's not a lot of difference between a Pat Anderson or a Kevin
1: Durant out there. Am I right in regard to their respective sports? Absolutely, Tristan. I mean, Pat is a world-class athlete, and it's always great to have world-class athletes like that on the podcast. It's it's great learning about his mindset, learning about his work ethic. Um, he's also incredibly humble for all of the types or all of the accolades that he's, uh, received, you know, all of the, um, incredible awards and, and just everything that he's been able to achieve over his career, um, his long career. And so, uh, yeah, it was just, it's great talking with him. Really interesting interview.
0: No doubt. I mean, I think uh, you mentioned this during the interview, we were barely scratching the surface in terms of what we could actually get to with his accomplishments, but you, Pat might not be the guy to tell you that himself. You might have to go up there on the line and uh, and read a little bit about it as we did. I mean, one thing I took away for sure, it doesn't matter if you're playing basketball in the court with your legs, playing wheelchair basketball, he still sticks to those fundamentals. I mean, we hear this from so many of our athletes, so many of our coaches that teach these fundamentals, He's, uh, he's working on his speed drills. He's working on getting that angle on that guy he's playing against. He's working on making sure that he can shoot from every angle of the court. And, of course, when it comes to wheelchair basketball, uh, you have to worry about rolling, rolling down the court and then all of a sudden use those arms that you've just been expending all this energy into and reach the hoop from there. So he talks a little bit about that here and how he sort of works on that might be able to help yourself and your training of your game a little bit there as well. So we're going to get right into it here. Before we do, as always, make sure you are scrolling down there on your podcast feed, giving us a quick little five-star rating if we're so lucky. If not, let us know why. And make sure you're uh, subscribing to all of Hustle Fitness's outlets out there, whether it's on social media or download the Hustle app as well. We're going to get right into it here. Here we go. Pat Anderson. (laughs) Pat Anderson.
2: Before we get to our interview, a quick word about the Hustle Sports Training app. Are you an athlete trying to improve your skills or a youth sports coach trying to develop an effective training program? Look no further than the Hustle app. Hustle is the simplest way to learn new sports skills, period. We partner with coaches and trainers at all levels to produce instructional videos and training plans that will help you to improve your fundamentals and master advanced techniques. Whether you're building out your practice plans or just looking to improve your form, techniques, or fitness, Hustle has a training plan for you. Download our app in iTunes or on the Google Play App Store by searching Hustle Training or visit our website at hustletraining.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook by searching Hustle With Us. Also happens to be the name of this podcast. Get a leg up on your competition with Hustle.
0: All right. Welcome in, everyone. We have with us on the line right now a very special guest. He's Patrick Anderson. He hails from Canada. He's a three-time Paralympic gold medalist with Team Canada playing wheelchair basketball there. Patrick, I got to say, it's an honor to talk to you. How are you doing tonight?
3: I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, appreciate you making the time, and and glad we could glad we could work this out. I gotta say, you know, we haven't spoke, we haven't spoken to somebody of your caliber quite yet, and we uh, we were talking just peel back the curtain a little bit, talking a little bit about this pre interview. We kind of want to get in the weeds here in terms of how you got to where you're at, and then also the sport of wheelchair basketball itself. So let's start there. So when we know, um, just a little backstory, little, little thing I read up on you, you were unfortunately at a very unfortunate accident at age nine that uh, restricted you to a wheelchair. And I want to know, as you're growing up, when did you start to pick up wheelchair basketball? Were you playing sports before and that's how you got into it? Or, uh, what was the, what was the process there?
3: I was, uh, a kid who loved every sport I could get my hands on, um, coming from canada certainly hockey was my my biggest love but um yeah i would play anything so you know my accident happened you know there was a year or so there where i was really more at the mercy of people pushing me around and helping me get around and just feeling but you know, after about a year i started to regain my independence and you know uh i had lost the ability to walk but that was sort of secondary you know like walking is, is Boring, all uh, uh, you know, with all due respect. <laughs> uh, it was the running and the climbing of trees and the skating. That was the big question. It was uh, it was really tough to kind of watch my friends play and run around. And, um, you know, I used to go watch them play hockey, and it just sort of tore me up. But I was one of the lucky ones to be introduced to wheelchair basketball just like a year after my accident. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I went to a wheelchair sports camp, and uh, they introduced us sort of in a token way to a few different sports swimming tennis but it was a bunch of basketball players and that's what we were there for <laughs> got it uh, but I didn't have to do much selling or persuading i was just hooked, uh you know it was just like um such a free i mean i was maybe i guess i was going on 11 at the time but um i just couldn't believe that feeling of independence could be back and and mind you i could barely get the ball to the rim you know uh i'm wheeling around in a Sort of a glorified hospital chair, um, like an everyday chair that I wouldn't dream of playing basketball in now, but those things didn't matter. Just getting out there and wheeling around, having a ball in my hands was all it took for me to just kind of fall in love and realize like, oh, there is, you know, there's going to be a future for me, you know, you know, a way for me to to play sports because when you're nine, I mean, a lot of kids say that anyway, in my case, it's certainly true. When I was 9, 10, 11 years old, that's what I needed to do. I love to play music. So I had to figure that part out too, but it's just like, how do I get back on the court or on the ice or something? So that was it. I played a little bit of sledge hockey for a while, but that sport, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but an incredible sport now, but at the time in the early nineties, at least in my area, it was much more like a therapeutic rec kind of environment. And as soon as we started like raising the puck off the ice, you know, I was getting kind of looks from parents who were worried about their kids getting hurt, you know, it was sort of that environment. And um, which I understand, but, you know, um, I would go from that to wheelchair basketball practice, and guys are falling out of their chairs and laughing and throwing no-look passes, and it was just a much more mature sport at that time, and so I uh, I uh, stopped playing sledge hockey, which is sort of too bad because I loved it so much, and um, it really evolved quickly after that into, into sort of what it is now, which is, just, is you know, as dynamic a sport um, as wheelchair basketball is certainly, but you know, that was the timeline. That was the '90s, and I fell in love with basketball and didn't really look back.
0: Right, yeah. So that's a true athlete's mindset, right there. You're wondering how you, how the heck you're going to get back to that active lifestyle. And uh, so you picked it up right around age 11. There, you were named to your first Canadian Junior Men's National Team in 1997, and won the world, won the world championships there. By the way, can I ask how old you were mm-hmm. at that point?
3: I was um, 17.
0: 17 so 11 to 17 obviously a lot of training that went into there you obviously reached the rim uh at that point so what um yeah. was there ever a point in that in that period from 11 to 17 where you thought you know i'm not gonna this is this sport's not for me maybe i'll pick up sledge hockey maybe i'll um you'll move on to another sport
3: no no it was none of that <laughs> um, <laughs> just committed yeah no there was no second guessing i mean This is wheelchair sports for one, you have to remember. And it was a a slightly different era. Maybe not even slightly different, but 20 years ago, um, I wasn't, was I training? I don't know. I went to, you know, practices twice a week that were, you know, somewhat structured and I'd certainly got a lot of instruction, but it was just a lot of playground, like trying to keep up with the guys on their feet. And I was on my prosthetics sometimes. I was on my knees. I was in my wheelchair. I was in my day chair, my ball chair, gym class. My backyard had a, you know, my dad um, built a, a deck and a hoop in the backyard. And so um, it wasn't super structured, but I just always had a ball in my hand. And yeah, I never really, um, yeah, it was it was sort of, once I was on that track, I sort of stayed on it. Um, it built pretty gradually. Um, you know, when I started playing, I didn't really even have a junior team to play for in my area. So mm-hmm. I had to play sort of on that a second level adult team. And they just sort of held my hand and, kind of brought me along. But I had a great first coach, a guy named Jeff Penner, who, who loved, um, he really taught me some really basic skills and really um, took care of establishing my fundamentals, but he also had a lot of fun playing. And he used to say, like he said, this expression for the people, which meant if we were up 20 points or down 20 points, he'd call a timeout and be like, Pat, for the people which meant you know your parents are falling asleep in the crowd cause <laughs> the outcome is uh you know in the bag so go do something fun so he had that um you know attitude of showmanship to him and he sort of passed that on a little bit and i always sort of appreciated that
1: tell me he made me work on my left
3: hand he taught me how to shoot with good form you know he really um he really cared about that stuff too i always thought it was a good
1: mix yeah that's great tell us a little bit more about that first coach where did he learn the game
3: I mean, that's a good question he uh he got hurt a little later, I think, like as a teenager, mm-hmm. he played, uh, he was on the national team in 88 in Seoul, Korea. So he had some high level coaching, but, um, so he might have, uh, I'm guessing he played some able-bodied basketball growing up, cause, uh, which is something I never really did. You know, basketball in the early 90s in Canada was, it was pre vince pre-Steve Nash, pre-Raptors, you know? So as a little kid anyway, I didn't really play much basketball, but, you know, Jeff, uh, you know, that two-handed, I developed sort of a two-handed shot. I mentioned I couldn't get the ball to the hoop, you know, so I had to do any way I could. And he kind of let that go for a while and let me have fun and sort of fall in love with the sport. But at one point when I was maybe 12 or 13, he sat me under the hoop, and he said, okay, I'm going to shoot, teach you how to shoot here with proper form. And when you can hit 10 in a row from here, I'm going to let you move back six inches. And when you hit 10 in a row from there, you're going to get another six inches. And – uh that was actually a pretty tough time. We, uh, I didn't appreciate that very much initially. And, um, you know, it took weeks, months for me to uh, start to get the hang of it. But I was really appreciated that because you put this neck on the line there in our relationship and was willing to deal with a little bit of pushback from me to, uh, you know, to build the foundation of my game. And that, you know, I wasn't going anywhere with that two-handed shot, as you guys can probably guess, you know, so... <laughs> So when I talk to kids and stuff, I always bring that up because, you know, that's what our parents and coaches and teachers, you know, have the uh, unenviable task of doing is like being the bad guy, you know, but really it's because they're trying to give us a gift, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, he was super instrumental in a number of ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So he, you picked him up early, obviously, in between that, that uh, period from age 11 to 17. How long do you stick with you? I'm curious.
3: Yeah. Like basically all through grade school and high school.
0: Okay.
3: I mean, he had a mixed bag. I mean, the other thing he was great at, you know, wheelchair sports, you get a whole range of abilities. And so when he would see me getting bored at practice, he'd send me over to a side hoop and like, go make 10 reverse left-handed layups and come back and join the drill. Like you really have to be nimble as a wheelchair basketball adaptive sport coach sometimes mm-hmm. to try to meet the different needs of your group. You know, you can't assume that 20 kids are going to walk in with the same, you know, physical abilities. So he would do stuff like that. Or another thing he did was there was a kid who could barely catch And, and Jeff just turned that, you know, especially when he saw me getting frustrating for me, he just turned that into a challenge. He said like, David, you have to give him the perfect pass, not a good pass, not a great pass, but a perfect pass for him (laughs) to complete that play, you know? So he would throw challenges at me that way. And I think he picked up early on that I like, was a kid who liked to be challenged. So when he, when he framed it like that, he can get a lot of mileage out of that, you know? So
0: Got it. Yeah. So you, uh, you work with them all through, all through high school there. You get named at age 17 to your Canadian junior men's national team, and you actually won the world championships that year, as well as in 2001. Mm-hmm. When you obviously progressed from there to be the, to make the Canadians' men's national team, not the juniors, did you have to try out? Was there a walk-on period there? Were, had you already made your name set at that point? What was that process like?
3: We won our first Paralympic gold in 2000. Um, but i made the national team for the first time in the in the spring of 97 it was actually the same year that i won world juniors um so yeah i mean i tried out i actually was invited to try out for the 96 team the coach Mm. at the time asked and and because i was sort of you know i had a made a bit of a splash i guess as a young player not to play many minutes but you know anyway he extended the invitation i said no uh, you know i said no i think i'll wait for my my time's coming and and he said. it's like, good, you're too young. I wouldn't have picked you anyway. Well, <laughs> did that light a little fire on you? Well, kind of. Then we're going to Nationals later that year and won NDP actually at Nationals and he pulled me aside at the banquet afterwards. And He said, You sure you don't want to stick around for tryouts? And I said, No, I'm going to stick with my original decision. And he said, Oh, uh, well, that's good because I wouldn't take you anyway. You're too young. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was biding my time. But the next year, you know, that coach was out. I'm not saying that's why, but he was out. A new coach is in. And, uh, I tried out and happened to be the coach that I went to, to play with at University of Illinois. So, you know, a lot of times in 97 and 2001, I mean, 97, I was just a kid coming out of high school with a lot of potential. Uh, but that fall I went to the University of Illinois and played for coach Mike Frogley. And um, that's when I started training really. That's when uh, you know, 6:30 AM, five days a week, playing 40, 50 game schedule down in the States and a whole new, I'd played a little bit in the U S league, but Now it was uh, was just a much bigger pool of players and competition down there. So that was really, this. if Jeff really laid a foundation for individual skills, it was Jeff, it was Frog, Coach Frogley at Illinois and with Team Canada who sort of sharpened those individual skills and then taught me the game. Nobody teaches the game like Mike Frogley. He's uh, sort of well regarded as one of, if not sort of the greatest teacher of the game around the world. And, from one on one to two on two, three on three, four on four, five on five, um, it just really builds up your understanding of the game. So by the time two thousand one rolled around, you know, it was more like felt like a played juniors again, but sort of was had already won a gold medal in two thousand with the with the men's team and so that, anyway, that was critical. That, those college years were sort of where I uh was able to um consolidate a lot of the skills I had with some understanding and then kind of hit the men's scene at a young age, sort of at a high level.
1: Nice. So how would you describe your style of play um, back then in the college years versus today? That's a good question. I
3: think relative to, you know, I, I, in some ways my game hasn't changed a lot, but I think uh, relative to everybody, I was, maybe had more, even more speed back then. The game has gotten a lot faster and more physical, and I just mm-hmm. had a, this sort of double amp. Maybe just athletic, you know, advantage that gave me some separation as a younger player, especially against other bigs. It was really a time of transition in the mid 90s, where like bigs. Before that, there was like you know little guys and big guys, and all of a sudden in the 90s, due to some of the changes in technology and and coaching, um, started to get you know take the ball away a little bit and kind of play more inside out, or I should say outside in, and those guys. You know, I had an impression on me. So um, so when I kind of came to the men's game, there were a lot of big guys that were handling the ball. And a bit like a Kevin Durant model. I don't mean to compare myself with Durant, but mm-hmm. I think it's somebody who's the tallest guy out there, but who can also get the ball to point and run a pick and roll and run your offense through. That was sort of what was <laughs> starting to happen at that time. And I was one of those first guys to um, do that. But I think I always, just by per Maybe my personality as well, a little more worried about distributing and getting other guys involved, as much as the old guys tease me about me not passing to him, I was always very conscious of trying not to shoot too much and these days i'm I'm a little bit more of a gunslinger i can't <laughs> uh, I can't go forty minutes a game, which in a in a funny way sort of frees me up to be a little bit more um, aggressive with looking for my shot and I think I've learned too that looking for my shot opens up the game for everybody else so I've learned over the years to be a little more selfish early on, um, but by virtue of being selfish, it's actually the more selfless thing to do because you get the defense to start bending your way, and then you can start setting up people. So, I still had some of those lessons to learn, um, you know, as a young player.
0: Well, I think you've you certainly earned your uh, earned your right at this point as that guns as that gunslinger uh, on on the team these days with your veteran status. <clears throat> So
3: well, I know Mike. I know Mike Dunn. Though I saw you saw him on there. <laughs> we,
0: yeah, we did have Mike Dunn on here, but I'm sure he'd take yeah. a look at your shot and uh, wouldn't have much to critique. That's for sure. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Only one way to find out, right? Well, so yeah. you uh, you get thrust into these national competitions at a pretty young age, and you know, age seventeen, age age eighteen for the first uh, Canadian national team there, age twenty three, and so on. Uh, what was the difference in the level of competition you were playing against in those international competitions versus what you were playing against back home?
3: Well, I think the, um, Canada had a pretty deep, had a pretty high level and a lot of good to great players. Um, Not necessarily international superstars to sort of bang against growing up. So I just saw a certain, another level of like the tentacle. You know, the guys that were at the very, very top. Um You know, I mean, I grew up playing against a lot of good players to great, but the true kind of superstars, I I had to wait till I got to the international level to see like where the ceiling actually was and then start to kind of knock on it, you know? So there was that, I think internationally, just overall, there's um, more speed and then wheelchair basketball, you know, if you're 10% faster than somebody, even 5%, you can really control where they can and can't go on the court in a way that's not, really similar to able body basketball where you can always kind of slide by somebody, you know, because the chairs are big and you get wheel position, as we call it, on somebody who's uh five or 10% slower than you. You control their chair. They can't go through you. They can't slide past you. So, you know, first time I got on the court with the U S and the U S has always been that athletic fast team, as you can probably imagine, because mm-hmm. they are in everything. <laughs> it seems like, you know, that, First of all, it's kind of like well, how do I, get, you know, these guys are just flying up and down the court. And then I realize, oh, I can hang with these guys. But then I look around and I think, oh, I notice that my teammates can't <laughs> so much. Now my I, great, we had a whole wave of talent that was responsible for our sort of sustained success there over 10, 12 years. But we never had a lot of, a lot of speed. Um, so I sort of carried a, a bit more of a load in that regard, um, trying to. You know where the US would have us broken down and I just had to rely on me making us you know beat my guy one-on-one and get in an open space and then draw on a second defender and then we could start to break them down so there was a lot sort of riding on my ability to keep up so seeing that elite speed and, and trying to get there was a was a big jump from Canada to the international game mm-hmm.
1: Got it. So you talked about um wheel position. And you know, here at Hustle, we're all about uh, the drills that our athletes go through, that our coaches work through. Um, you know, can you tell us about a particular drill that you like to do to work on wheeled position wheel position and overall speed?
3: Um, I could tell you a drill, that I do. I, I don't know if I could tell you one that I like to do, but um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, tell that. us
1: a give us a good one. <laughs>
3: Well, I, don't yeah, know. I a mean, tough one. It's, it's not, uh, you know, Frog um, frog always talks about shadow. So he has this whole progression of one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three shadow. And um, it's, as, it's as simple as that. It's really just, you know, getting in a lane and determining sort of what a challenging sort of, you, you find a lane on the court where it's not too wide because it's too wide. Um, you're able to kind of cut back and forth and, and get a sort of full speed going. And then beat a guy it's more like here's a corridor eight feet wide you gotta beat this guy one-on-one and um it really starts there with like the with um knowing that um the sort of nuts and bolts of what part of your chair you need to keep ahead of there so essentially you're big you got to keep your big wheel ahead of theirs and as they pivot maybe that target changes and then you're trying to keep in front of their front caster instead of their big wheel so there's some of that technical stuff um and then and um yeah and then you just go Full court one on one and try to you know find somebody sort of match up with. It's a little tough because you have to find someone that's pretty close to you in speed. Otherwise, it's really easy for one guy to dominate the other guy. Um, and then we sort of do similar things in the half court as well with less space to kind of get moving. Um, but yeah, it, that, that's not uh, fancy. But what it does take is is some real um, dedicated coaching to sort of watch that happen and then break down the detail. You know, there's a lot of um, you know, stuff like a guy kind of tries to beat you to the right, you go get wheel position on him, stop his chair, he pivots, you kind of turn, but you overturn, you know, you turn your chair. Instead of turning 90 degrees, you turn at 115 degrees. And that guy uses that wide swing to kind of get wheel position on you on the other side and freeze you and then move on. So the more um, skilled and dedicated your coaches are to really watch you perform those trails and then break it down, into the sort of inches and degrees uh like on on that sort of granular level, um, the better off you are in frog, it's one of the many ways he was really a great teacher because he was really good at that he still is yeah we see he runs our academy so our, our next generation players that live and train in Toronto, frogs in charge of them, which is a sense a perfect place for him because he's the best at establishing that foundation
0: got it, okay, so you uh that that's a good way to walk through how how exactly you work on that speed. Now, uh, what I'm picking up on a little bit is it's, uh, it's a little, it's pretty physical sport, especially compared to, um, non-wheelchair basketball. How do you avoid injuries? Is there any technique that you put into that or is it just sort of, you know, toughen up and, and, and the next one?
3: You just let your chair take the beating and then order a new one, get a good sponsor. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a mess that we, it's more physical and it's more physical than people expect, but I think people also underestimate how physical basketball is, right? And the thing about basketball is it's body against body, you know? It's the reason why power forwards don't want to play center like Anthony Davis because he doesn't want to <laughs> be bouncing up against 250-pound guys all year. It hurts, you know? It breaks down your body. Well, us, there's a little bit of that, but it really are chairs. I mean, I've gone through 30 chairs in my career, you know? So really? not to say it's not physical on the body as well. It is. We fall and land and shoulders. and. um obviously we're probably using sh- our shoulders in terms of pushing in a way that they weren't really designed to do. So, but yeah, our chairs if you look at them, they take a beating, you know, we go through axles and wheels, and, but you know, it's the usual stuff. It's like, I, I had a pretty good foundation of at Illinois lifting and prehab and learn how to take care of my shoulders and watch that my posture does my posture doesn't sort of, you know, I don't have great posture sort of genetically, but I see a lot of people in wheelchairs start to get rounded shoulders and start to scrunch up a little bit. And I think that leads to more, You know, shoulder impingement and stuff like that that can really be a problem and shorten your career. So, had a pretty good start early on with how to address that stuff. All of them was relatively good over the years of staying on top of it. So, um, yeah, I always had a good wheelchair sponsor to be quite honest with you, so I could, uh, you know, I I tried out a lot of different things and and broke a lot of chairs and always had you know a good one waiting in the wings for me. So, and I don't, I also don't fall as much as I used to. That's (laughs) when you're young. I don't know. I used to fly around the court and almost look, almost looking for that contact and drawing fouls and diving and, you know, daring the refs to call something. And I just don't go there anymore. <laughs> Self-preservation. Maybe that's what <laughs> I was thinking of when
0: you're saying, you know, you, you don't fall over as much and all that. I'm sure it doesn't happen at the international level, but uh, it can certainly take a beating on the body. Um, but certainly when you're not doing it, that's when you're not taking the beating. You re- Real quick, you, you walked us through some speed drills there, and, and we want to get a little bit back to that. Uh, and you mentioned the sort of the around the world technique where, you know, you're taking a shot, moving back six inches, taking 10 shots, moving yeah. back another six inches. Any other sh- shooting drills that are some favorites of yours that you like to incorporate into your training? Uh,
3: well, I'll say back the, tr- the speed for one thing. I mean, the other big core part of our, my training over the years is chair skills, which, you, which is like plyometrics, basically towing another guy around the court. And it's not necessarily the most sophisticated, but. In wheelchair basketball, you use what you have, and you always generally have at least one other guy to work out with. So um, we do a lot of that, like using another a chair behind us to hang on and then push twice and stop, push twice and stop, or or tell the guy to half court and he lets go and he sprint the rest of the way. So um, I could think that's the other piece to, you know, developing and maintaining power and speed. Shooting, I don't know. I worked out with um, – I was always pretty good at getting lots of shots, but not necessarily um, – didn't always know how to practice the best game shots. and But uh, I worked out with a guy named um, Brian Kordovich before the 2012 games in New York City, smoking aces online. Um, an amazing, amazing shooter. At the time, he was sort of a last cut with the Knicks, so he was sort of sniffing at the big leagues there. And, uh, you know, through working out with him before London, I really learned how to move from sort of volume shooting sort of earlier on in the season to really um, moving around the court. And not grooving a shot from a certain spot, um, but sort of moving into space and finding my balance and then catching a pass or taking it off the dribble. So so sort of out of that, one of, one of my base, um, most basic uh, go-to drills, especially as we get closer to competition, is um, I call it the fives, which is I start with a layup and then a post-up shot and then a jumper from 15 feet, and then I slow down for a half second, shoot a free throw, and up to the three-point line. And I take uh I try to get to twenty points, everything's worth one and threes are worth two, and I try to get to twenty points under two and a half minutes. So I'll sort of work my way in a, from you know, into if you take any sort of hour long um shooting workout and sort of do more volume stuff early on. That'll be the the fives will be the last thing I I'll do maybe four or five sets of that. So I say go and I try to race myself to twenty points and keep it under two and a half minutes. So um, yeah, I just got, and thanks to Brian and some other coaches, it's a little bit more sophisticated with, with what I'm doing and when, you know, because you don't have the luxury of sitting at the three-point line and shooting five or six until you find your range, you know what I mean? And wheelchair basketball, you basketball, know, you know, um, it's a little bit instructive to compare it to something like uh, biathlon because, you know, everything's going through our arms, you know, so we're just pushing, 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 and then you got to pull up and shoot a jumper. Well, your arms are just burning, right, or they're shaking because you're pushing so hard so it's that ability to sort of slow down, focus, find the rim, um deal with the fatigue, um or avoid the fatigue if you get smarter <laughs> and maybe not um burn so much any extra energy on, on some of those moves, so uh, there's
1: a little bit of that too. So let's let's transition a little bit. Um you uh, you know, you've had an incredibly storied career and we're really only just scratching the surface of all the uh the honors that you've gotten, um, over the, over the career. But, you know, looking back, is there any, any thing in particular that you'd say that you were most proud of over the course of the career, um, getting to where you are right now?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I
1: mean, a few of the, our wins stand out in uh, 2012
3: was kind of special because, uh, Well, back up, 2004 is one of them because, you know, we won in 2000. 2002, we lost a couple overtime in the semis to the U.S. and really felt like we should have been. Um, We were the best. We felt like the best team there, and we didn't perform well. So going into 2004, we didn't want to just win. We wanted to sort of set a higher bar than that and sort of change the way the game was played. I mean, it sounds a little bit like high and mighty or whatever, but we set a really high bar and uh, and achieved it. And there's something about that that really sticks out in my mind. Um, I think we really pushed the sport um, in a new direction or, or just to a, to a high level and really kind of took that seriously. Was like, no, we're the best team in the world. It's not good enough to just get by, but we want to have sort of a statement win. So that was our statement win. But by 2012, you know, we had this sort of wave of talent that was getting old and um, that one came with the most uh, just internal um, tensions and, yeah, you know, it was just, uh, it was a tough time. There's some interpersonal stuff with some of the guys, and I
1: don't know.
3: In some ways, we we're running on fumes a little bit. But the fact that we were able to sort of check our issues and egos and stuff, um, to a great enough extent to prepare and to, to go win in 2012, something about that one that was sort of the least expected and just the rockiest road. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and I look back on that, special for that reason. You know, some guys really, I don't know, um, had to deal with just some frustrations and and I think we all kind of came together when we had to and you know overcame that stuff. Absolutely. I love it. And that's... my wife just walked in the room and she was there for the first time. She... <laughs> there it is. Shout yeah out. you had to you Shout had to out. sink that
0: one in there. That's, oh, <laughs> that's key right there, Pat. All right. All right. So uh, here at Hustle, you know, we're all about the technology and incorporating it into your training is there any technology that you uh, incorporate today that uh you know you find particularly particularly useful jeez
3: well it's nothing genius but uh i mean as a 39 year old we uh we watch that heart rate data pretty closely and <laughs> we have our own um, sort of math for for uh translating heart rate data into how much work we're doing and they kind of keep an eye on that and make sure that i'm not getting worn down more in our training environment than in playing than uh, when we're competing. So, you know, we've got a little more sophisticated in that regard. Um, I've discovered home court, that home court app. Mm-hmm. You guys know that one, Steve Nash sure. is involved with it. And sure. that's a lot of fun. I, yeah, I like the sort of accountability of like, well, someone's going to watch this, you know, and so, you know, I enjoy, um, uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. I like that. I haven't got into the sort of some of the shot mechanic feedback, like the arc and stuff like that. I'll go. I've played around with like that stuff in the past, but that's an app I want to dig into a little bit more. Just, just right. coming here. Well, that's
0: the next step. Yeah. That's the next step right there. We've certainly heard the the, uh, the homecord app from other, some some of our other guests as well. Uh, well, Pat, yeah. we'll definitely appreciate your time here tonight. Uh, you know, you've, you've fed us a ton of information here and we definitely <laughs> want to digest it all and, and really take it all back with us. And um, before we let you go, is there anywhere we can find you online, social media, website, all that? Let's hear it.
3: Yeah, I have some fun on Instagram. So Patrick D. Anderson. I I try to throw up some stuff that I'm doing in the gym. But, you know, Wheelchair Basketball Canada. That's that's our, uh, you know, give them a follow, and you can check out how we're doing with with our uh, qualification here, hopefully uh, for Tokyo coming up in a few weeks, and then our road to Tokyo next year if we can qualify. So Wheelchair Basketball Canada, and then I'm Patrick D. Anderson.
0: On Instagram there.
3: Awesome. Funny. All
0: right. Well, yeah. hopefully, you know, I know certainly our young athletes can take something away from this interview, uh, whether it's the determination, the grit that you uh, portray out there, or even some of the drills that you're even talking about. I'm sure we could take it to our own practices. So, uh, Pat, appreciate the time once again, and uh, we'll let you go here. And hopefully, we can catch up with you shortly after the uh, the Pan Am's coming up here. Right?
3: Sounds great. Yeah, a couple weeks.
0: Yeah. All right. Here we go. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye out. Thanks again, Pat.
3: All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you,